Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, we are going to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to do something I haven't done for a little while. We're just going to take a chunk of scripture and try to pull it apart and consider it a bite at a time of what the Lord would say to us. Amen. The 12th chapter of Romans begins with the unique concept of being a living sacrifice. That is a unique concept because throughout the Word of God, sacrifice usually meant something died. But Paul said that we are to be living sacrifices, which would suggest that there is a dying that needs to take place as a part of our living. Amen. There is that initial repentance that is required when we first respond to the gospel, but as I think most of us here understand, our ongoing walk with God and continuing to be transformed by God includes repentance. It includes that choice on a daily basis that one life is going to live and one life is going to die, that they cannot live together. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. He'll either cling to one and hate the other. Amen. Paul then goes on after that first portion of the chapter to speak about how there are various parts of the body. And he begins to talk about various ministries, various gifts, various offices that the Lord has placed in the church, gifts that God has given to people, and those gifts contribute to the building up of the body and how they should function. And I, it is a good thing to know what God wants you to do for His glory. Amen? It's a good thing to know what it is that we can contribute. It's also a good thing to ask ourselves from time to time, am I fulfilling my purpose in the kingdom of God? Is this the will of God for my life? Because it can change. It can change. It can develop. It can take a different direction. If you have felt in the past that you are, you know, the Lord wants you to teach Sunday school, you may not do that till you die. You know, there may be a different direction. It is important that we say, Lord, what is your will for my life? What is your purpose for my existence? Amen. Because as I will say repeatedly, there isn't one of us that gets the salvation only version of the Holy Ghost. When you are filled with the Spirit of God, there are things that come with that, that God wants to use you and anoint you in for His glory and for His kingdom. Amen. And then we come to the section of chapter 12 that we're going to spend a little time on tonight. Somebody once, I heard somebody once refer to this portion as part of the commands regulating Christian brotherhood or how we ought to behave toward one another in the church. Romans chapter 12 Starting to read at verse 9 says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Amen. So much, the book of Romans, if you ever take the time to study it, 
has such richness in it. it. It has so many layers of depth that are found. Some people find it one of the most challenging epistles. And, you know, over the years of pastoring, I've taught various epistles. And I'll be honest, when I taught through the book of Romans, it was a lot more work than teaching through the book of Ephesians <laughs> or a book of Colossians. And we won't mention the book of Proverbs because I'm still healing from the, the grief that the young people gave me for how long that series talk to, took to finish. But there are treasures in the book of Romans. And we're going to start with this passage one verse at a time. Verse 9 says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Love without dissimulation. What does that word sound like? Sounds like a simulator. Something that is pretended. Something that is artificial. The love that exists in the family of God and the kingdom of God needs to be genuine. It cannot be fake. We are not permitted to be hypocrites. This genuine love, according to Romans chapter 5, is shed abroad or poured out into our hearts by the Holy Ghost. There is something about the Spirit of God that, that enables us, that equips and empowers us to love one another. Amen. That causes us to be able to feel the love of God for one another. We are not vessels simply designed to be filled, but we are vessels designed to be filled and flow out of. We, we are not a cul-de-sac, we're not a dead-end street, we are a conduit, we are a, a passageway, we are a thoroughfare that what God pours into us is designed to flow out of us to one another. And only the Holy Ghost can do that. But we all, most of us would understand tonight that love involves risks. Love involves the risk of being hurt. And the love of God includes being able to overcome hurt and to work through hurt. The old cliche says that we hurt the ones we love and there's a certain amount of truth to that but it's not because it's our intent but sometimes when we love somebody with strength or a deep love for somebody the pain is greater when we are offended. When someone you cares about is harsh toward you it hurts. When some random stranger abuses you as they go flying past in the right hand lane it's irritating but it's like oh I don't know what their problem was. You don't care about them as long as they don't try to run you off the road. But we love requires being willing to be hurt. Amen. Jesus, the Scripture says, came into his own and his own received him not. He was love personified. He was love demonstrated. He was love manifest in the flesh and the vast majority of his chosen people turned their backs on him. Yet he loved them anyway. Amen. You see that this subject of of how we deal with hurt comes up regularly in church because these things are a part of our lives. Pain is a part of when, when When you live and exist and interact with broken humanity being broken yourself, broken things have edges. <laughs> broken things have sharp bits sometimes. And we tend to do that one to another. And it is our opportunity to allow the Lord to work in us. The Scripture teaches us regarding offenses that there are two things we need to focus on as believers. One is to do our very best not to be the cause of offense. We have to take care. But two is that we need to handle offense the right way when it comes. And I am persuaded, I think I've said this multiple times recently, if you are going to make it, if you are going to be here when Jesus comes back and ready for his return, it is not going to come down to how much scripture you can memorize, although that's a good thing. 
More often than not, it's going to come down to how you handle the junk. How you handle the hurt, the disappointment, the shortcomings of other people in our lives. Our ability to forgive, to release and to move on is paramount to our success spiritually. Amen. So love must be without dissimulation. You know, if it's fake, it'll show up pretty fast when you're offended. (laughs) Fake love doesn't handle offense too well. It takes real love to handle offense. Second part of that verse tells us that we are to abhor that which is evil. That's a very strong word. To abhor something is to to despise it. One, One version says it like this, we should hate what is evil, we should loathe all ungodliness, and we should turn in horror from wickedness. That seems a little strong, but we live in an age where it is incredibly easy to become desensitized to sin and the pain that it causes. And you know, one of the fastest ways to become desensitized to sin is through media. If we watch people behaving sinfully as a form of entertainment, very shortly we become numb to the wickedness that we see before us and then we become numb to it in our own lives as well. But the Apostle Paul said, abhor that which is evil. He didn't say, you know, be mildly displeased. He said, abhor it. First Thessalonians 5 and 22 says, abstain from all appearance of evil. Even the appearance of evil is not good for us to be hanging around. You know, if you're hanging out with people who are doing the wrong thing and you're not doing the wrong thing, it's still not the right environment for a child of God. It's not what the Scripture teaches us. We need to draw a clear line between our actions and actions that are sinful. We shouldn't be around those things, even if we're not participating. Let's look at some scriptures that give us some of these instructions. I want you to notice those parts that are underlined in these texts and and the the repetitive nature of what is underlined. 1 Corinthians 6 and 18 says, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth without is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. 1 Corinthians 10 and 14 says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. 1 Timothy 6, 10 and 11 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, he said, that, it shouldn't be like that for us, but thou, O man of God, Flee these things. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Second Timothy 2 and 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. This is not a trick question. What is the common element in these verses? That's right. The word flee. It's not the little creature that lives on your dog's back. It's a different spelling. The word flee has nothing to do with a slow stroll or a just a gentle wandering away. The word flee communicates an urgency. They asked somebody young and fit to demonstrate fleeing. They would have to run. You can't walk and flee. If you're fleeing, you're running. Amen. And the scripture tells us we are to flee these things. Abhor that which is evil. Run away. It's not weak to run away from sin. It's smart to run away from sin. And then the last statement in that verse says to cleave 
to good things. Hold on tight to good things. Those last two scriptures that we had when we talked about fleeing show us a different emphasis in this next slide. It talks in verse 11 of 1 Timothy 6 that after we fleeing these things that we should follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience and meekness. They're things that we're supposed to hang on to. They're things we pursue. The other things we run the other way. These things we follow after them. Again, in 2 Timothy 2 and 22, we are to follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, who with, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I'm not interested in being unkind to anybody, but the people that are doing those other things, the youthful lust, the idolatry, the fornication, they're not calling on the Lord with a pure heart. They're not the people we need to be traveling with. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 12, back to our text in verse 10. says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. Preferring one another. To treat each other with love and respect. You know, some people think that the love of God means that when we go to church, we have to be besties with everybody. I don't find that in my Bible. We don't have to be besties. We have to love one another. We have to respect one another. We have to prefer one another. We don't have to spend every Christmas at each other's houses or come to each other's birthday parties every single year. But we have to love one another. We have to respect. Philippians 2 and verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Don't be, don't be a troublemaker. Don't be interested in exalting yourself and your own vanity. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than themselves. Uh, that instruction is not that we should see ourselves without value or be self-deprecating. Oh, I'm just a miserable, horrible person. It's easy for me to think better of others. That's not what it's teaching us. Every one of us is valuable in the sight of God. Every single one of us. But rather, it's teaching us that we honor our brother or sister before ourselves. We give them preference. We, we, we think about them first. You know, Jesus taught this principle. He said, you know, if you go to a feast, if you go to a special occasion, don't go to the best seat in the, at the place. Don't take the high seat. He said, take the low seat. Because then if you're supposed to be at the high seat, they'll come and say, hey, come sit up here. But he said, if you go sit in the high seat, you're not meant to be there. It's really awkward because they'll say, excuse me, you can't sit here. You need to go down to that table over there. That's preferring one another. You know, don't assume that you should be treated in any particular way. You know, we need to honor one another, prefer one another. Now, so many problems happen when we start thinking about our rights. <laughs> don't find that concept in the Word of God, that you have rights. I find words like dying, surrendering, being a servant, loving others first. They're the kind of concepts the Scripture talks to us about. Verse 11 of Romans 12, and we may not be too long tonight. It says, don't be slothful in business. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Business here is not speaking about making money. It's talking about the Father's business. Jesus said, I need to be about my Father's business. It means we should not be lacking in zeal. It talks about being fervent in spirit. We, we need to maintain a passion about serving God. We need to stir it up sometimes and remind ourselves what we're involved in. Now, some of us have been in the church for decades, but I know I have to be reminded it is a privilege to be in the church. It is an incredible honor to be part of God's family. 
to have an opportunity to serve God, to think that he would let me share his word with somebody else. That's awesome. We need to stir that up. There needs to be some fervor in our spirit. Don't just get stuck in a rut and go through the motions. Be enthusiastic. Be a little passionate sometimes. Maybe even a little crazy occasionally. I'd much rather have a little crazy in the church than a lot of corpses we have to bring back from the dead. We can tone crazy down. The dead people, we just bury them. Be fervent in spirit when we're serving the Lord. Stir it up. Get that, breathe on those coals. You know, it's not easy. We get, you know, you try to win somebody, invite somebody to church, they don't come. It's discouraging, let's be honest. Somebody on the job, a family member, you feel like the Lord's drawing them and you invite them and they don't come and it's like, ooh. Don't let it get you down. Stir it up. Get back to the Lord and pray. Don't, don't let your relationship with God be impacted by the things you see with the natural eye. Recognize it just because it didn't happen your way doesn't mean that God's closed the book on them. He's still working. Be fervent in spirit. Amen. You know, we, we have that warning from the book of Revelation where the Lord said to Laodicea, I wish you were cold or hot. So, but this lukewarm stuff, that makes me want to puke. That's what it said. It's, it, the Lord, it's, it doesn't, it's counterintuitive to us that God would prefer that we were cold than lukewarm. That, that does, but Lord, that's the other end. He, at least then he knows where we're at. He can try to breathe some life back into us. Amen. Have, be fervent in spirit, not slothful in business. Don't be slack about what we do for the Lord. Stir ourselves up. Verse 12, Romans 12 and 12. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. This is just a small verse, but there's some power in this verse. There is some power in this verse. Amen. It will help. If we understand this verse, it's going to help us endure till he comes. We need to rejoice in our hope. We need to keep coming back to why am I living this way? Why am I making these choices? Why am I not doing all the things that everybody else is doing? Because I have a hope. There's something that I'm looking for. Amen. And that needs to be the underlying perspective of every day. I know I'll be honest, I don't get up every morning like those really spiritual people and say, maybe today you're coming, Lord. When I get up, sometimes the only thought I have is, I need coffee. <laughs> Several of them, in fact. One in each hand, maybe. But the underlying principle in our lives needs to be, I have a hope. Because when you have a hope, the ups and downs don't bother you so much. Amen. Every day we should be trying to say, Lord, help me to remember you could be coming back. Because that will then help us to get through the tribulations with patience and get through the trials with a quiet determination. And it must, must, must be built upon a foundation of regular, consistent prayer. Because prayer helps us to keep our eyes on the hope. Prayer helps us to keep us aligned with the Word of God and the Spirit of God, which means we can get through some stuff. Amen. We're talking about appropriate behavior for Christians. Prayer is the only right conduct for believers. Amen. It helps us stay focused. It helps us add patience to our lives. What's patience? It's a fruit of the Spirit. Long-suffering, that's the kind of patience. Amen. Verse 13. Distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. 
Charitable giving in the New Testament context was for many a matter of survival. Widows who didn't have husbands or sons to provide for them, people who were physically unable to work, depended on the charity of others. Those that, for whatever reason, were unable to survive under their own strength needed others to distribute to their necessity. Now, the nature of Christian charity in a modern context is a little blurry in our society because the government takes care of so much stuff. I didn't have that back then. But there are still genuine cases where people have needs. And part of being believers is being willing to minister to those needs. Amen. Our first priority needs to be our families, natural and spiritual. Amen. I've had people approach me in need of financial assistance. And if I'm aware that they've got a large extended family, I'm going to send them to their family first. I'm going to say, they're the first people you should be asking, not the church. If that doesn't produce a solution, then we can think about being able to help. But family should be taking care of family to begin with. Within the household of faith, there are many times we've helped out people in difficulty. We do so discreetly because we don't, you know, announce, oh, this week we bailed somebody out and paid their rent. You know, we don't embarrass anybody. We do that discreetly. Why? Because it's, it's a part of what the church should be doing. But then the verse takes a slightly different change in direction in verse 13. It talks about being given to hospitality. The Greek word literally means the love of strangers. That's an interesting concept because you know, we're careful around strangers. But in a first century context, when people traveled, places for travelers to stay were few and far between. And they have hotels and motels and Airbnb and all this stuff. And often travelers depended upon the kindness of people in the towns and villages that they passed through. Amen. Now, I, a stranger in the scripture usually refers to somebody who was without, who wasn't of the people of God. In a modern context, we try to have wisdom, but we use our homes to be kind to people. I'm not saying you just go out on the street and invite random people you've never met before. Hey, come and stay at my place. Please don't practice that. That's dangerous. Amen. But we can have people over for dinner. We've got to be careful sometimes we don't become insulated within the church and only fellowship with church people. They're the easiest people to fellowship most of the time. I'm just going to leave that there. Um, Romans chapter 12 and verse 14. This is a hard one. Bless them which persecute you. Bless just in case we misheard, bless and curse not. Now this is a verse that you cannot obey without the Holy Ghost. Well, you might be able to, I can't. This verse without the Holy Ghost is not going to happen. How do you bless them that persecute you? You be kind to them. You pray for them. You don't ask God to smite them, but you ask God to bless them. The Greek word for bless is the same word that we get the word eulogy from. And the eulogy is usually given at a funeral and includes us normally saying nice things about the person who's passed away. Somebody giving you a hard time, don't curse them. Bless them. Ask God to bless them. Be kind to them. Do good to them. You know, we won't get to the end of chapter 12 tonight, but just to jump ahead to verse 20, this is what it says, Romans 12 and 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. I'm sorry to disappoint you. That doesn't mean literal coals. And if you would like it to be literal coals, you should probably talk to Jesus because that's not very nice. 
What it means is that hopefully when we are kind to them, that they will be ashamed of the way that they have treated us and it will bring about a change in their lives. That's the principle of the scripture. And I, I've shared this story before, but some of you probably haven't heard it. There's an old preacher who's long gone to be with the Lord by the name of Brother Andrew Urshan. And his son, Brother Nathaniel Urshan, was for a long time the general superintendent of the church in North America. And one Saturday morning, the family was having breakfast and there was a knock at the door. And younger Brother Urshan went to the door and opened the door. And there's a man there from the church that had been causing his father a lot of trouble in the church. And so young brother Ocean in his immaturity and, and defense of his father closed the door in that man's face and went back to breakfast. And his father said, who was at the door, son? And he said, it was your enemy. And old brother Ocean said, I haven't got any enemies. Go and, go and invite him in. And against his own preference, young brother Ocean went to the door and said, dad wants you to come inside. And he came in and old brother Ocean sat this man down at his table, got up and began to cook him breakfast, asked him how he liked his eggs and how he wanted this and how he wanted that. And that man who had been a pain in the neck for the pastor began to weep because he said, I've been a problem. I came here to cause you difficulty and this is how you've treated me? That's coals of fire. That's not singeing somebody's head. That's, that's causing them to feel shame for what they've done. Amen. That's how God expects us. To respond. Verse 15, Romans 12, 15, Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. We've got to be sensitive to the situations of others. There is a time to rejoice. There is a time to mourn. In the last 12 or so months, we've had members of our church family that have suffered loss. That's painful. It's a part of our lives to lose people. And we need to be able to Come alongside. We need to be able to weep with them if need be. The last thing they need is a greeting card cliche. Now, they all things work together for good. God knows you can handle it, so he lets you go through it. Please, do not be that person that declares, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Don't be that person. If they punch you in the nose, don't come crying to me. Do you know what I'll say? I'll say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. We need to be sensitive to people's situations. We need to be aware. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a skill to be able to read what's going on. Some people are really good at it. Others just have to work really hard. But it's important that we are sensitive to where people are at. Our last verse, Romans chapter 12 and verse 16, says, Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Live in harmony. Get along with other people. Don't be that person that's always stirring things up. Have the same attitude to all people, regardless of their spiritual, social, educational, or intellectual status don't you know don't mind not high things don't think that you're up here be kind to everybody and said be not wise in your own conceits don't be overcome by your own greatness you know humble ourselves you know when i was growing up if i said something that was a bit conceited or sounded proud my mother would always quote this verse 
Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 2. Let another man's lips praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. I used to get that verse quite a bit when I was young, so I must have been a bit conceited. But it's, it's good to humble ourselves. It's good not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. You know, here, in closing, here's an interesting fact. There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. And the word lips appears 42 times. Many of them are warnings about keeping them closed or whose we should and should not listen to. It's interesting that in the book of Wisdom, there is a very strong focus on what comes out of our mouths. I mean, all of us, you know, if you think, yeah, that's for brother so-and-so, it's for everybody. It's for everybody. We, you know, there are, there are warnings about the deceitfulness of people's lips. There are warnings about, there is encouragement about the wisdom that we can have with our mouths. There, there are times we need to learn to just, you know, sometimes the best thing you can say is absolutely nothing. Absolutely. Somebody said once, it's better to let people think you're a fool than to open your mouth and prove it right. And we, we need to be wise. We need to be wise. Amen. There's, there's, we could spend a lot of time in this scripture, but I just want to encourage us tonight as brothers and sisters in the Lord. This passage gives us some strong instruction for how we ought to be one with another. Let's stand this evening.